In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Why the latest AJC poll means bad news for Georgia Democrats. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, I see you in the car as usual for this show. You've been particularly busy this week, headed all around Georgia, and you are in the great city of Cleveland today, home of my beloved Camp Barty Menace and the <laughs> dreaded rival Camp Coleman. Two Jewish camps basically across the street from each other, not far from downtown Cleveland. Also very close to Babyland General, which I did yeah. not visit. Um, no, I was in beautiful White County out at a Democratic event. Donald Trump won that county by 83% or with 83%. So that is what uh, one Democrat called uh, Republican heaven earlier today. But it's the kind of place where if Democrats can run candidates, run real campaigns, could they even bump their margins up a bit enough to limit Republican margins and improve their chances statewide? You know, that's what they're really hoping for. And so I wanted to see what that strategy really looks like on the ground. It's really built heavily on the abortion issue. And um, it was a it was fa- fascinating trip. So I'll write about it in my Sunday column. We can't wait to read the next column. I'm here at home still looking at a lawn full of pink flamingos. Yes, that means... I once again failed at fantasy football dead last out of 10 teams in my neighborhood <laughs> league. And I forgot to uh, bench a, uh, a player for Monday Night Football who was out of commission. And I, I have a good excuse. I was pretty busy. It's poll week at the AJC. But yes. still, I have a badge of shame for yet another week. But all my neighbors have grown to expect it from me. I, I think it's the only way you can make NFL football interesting is by <laughs> putting money on it and then scrambling the teams and just hope the Falcons Get, get it together at some point in this lifetime. I've already moved on from the Falcons, at least. <laughs> um, although I did I did stop at a, a way, on the way home from an event on Sunday. I was listening to the radio, so I haven't completely moved on, and I, and I heard the comeback attempt. And so I stopped at a local bar where I know the owner, and I just camped out there for about, I don't know, six minutes. And just, almost as soon as I ordered food, uh, <laughs> the Falcons had already lost. So it didn't last <laughs> very long. Well, coming up later, we're going to talk about what we've learned about abortion in the minds of Georgia voters, as well as how voters feel about President Joe Biden. But first, let's get to the top lines of the poll. And Patricia, it was it was bad news all around, or almost all around, for Georgia Democrats. Governor Kemp 
led Stacey Abrams 50 to 42 in the AJC poll. It's one of the first that shows the Republican just north of the majority vote mark he needs to win a second term without a runoff. Uh, majority of voters, 54%, approve of how Kemp is handling his job as governor. Some 51% of likely Georgia voters want the GOP to win control of Congress. And 70% of voters overall say the country is on the wrong track. Further down the ticket, Democrats aren't faring any better. Republican nominees for lieutenant governor, attorney general, and secretary of state all had double-digit leads over their Democratic challengers. And just 37% of likely Georgia voters approve of President Joe Biden's performance in office. That is statistically unchanged since the last AJC poll in July. So while Biden's approval rating is rebounding in some other battleground states, he remains firmly underwater here in Georgia. So Patricia, with less than 50 days until the election, this is not what Democrats wanted to see in an AJC poll. No, it's not. Now, there are also other polls out there that Democrats will talk about that show better results for Democrats. I think what we're looking at here, though, are really getting into some of the crosstabs and trying to figure out why these numbers are staying a little bit flat, if not even falling for Democrats. And a couple of the numbers that have jumped out at me and that and I know have jumped out at Democrats, and this is consistent with some other internal polls from campaigns that I've spoken with. Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock are both just below 80% with black voters. That is highly unusual. They need to be at at least 90% in order to think about winning statewide here in Georgia. And that is just a number they have to get up. Now, about 10% of those black voters are also undecided. So Democrats are absolutely thinking and hoping that those Democrats and those black voters who typically vote Democrat will you know, as they say, come home, that they will come back and vote for their statewide Democratic candidates. They have to get those numbers up. Also, Brian Kemp is about tied with Stacey Abrams in the women's vote, uh, leading by about two points in our poll. And that is extremely unusual. Typically, we would see a Democratic candidate If there's a gender gap, it typically can be on the side of male voters. Republicans do typically do much better with male voters than female voters uh, compared to Democrats. But they're not often winning the female vote, especially against a female candidate. So that is unusual for Stacey Abrams as well. And so some of these numbers explain why the Democrats are trailing, but they are also the exact voters that we have assumed Uh, long assumed that Democrats would be winning with and running away with. And so this is certainly the area they're going to be focusing on and really working on turnout to uh, even if those are the numbers that are polling, they want to get their turnout numbers out so that black voters are showing up for them. Female voters are showing up for them. They're motivated. They're activated. They're getting to the polls. You know, that's what they're going to have to start focusing on right now. Yeah, let's dig a little deeper into both those trends. First, the, the black voters. I mean, we've talked about this before. But Stacey Abrams is the first to acknowledge she has an issue with black men supporters, right? She said publicly several times if she wins more black male support, she wins this election. She's had events targeting African-American men in particular, because while black women make the sort of cornerstone of the Democratic coalition, they're among the most reliable voting blocks for Democrats, black men have typically been underrepresented at the ballot box. And Stacey Abrams is saying, hey, now's your chance to turn that around. And at a time where she needs them very badly, right? Uh, 80% sounds like a lot of support. It sounds like it's overwhelming, and it is. But as you mentioned, Patricia, she needs to be closer to 90s, maybe even mid-90s to have a real shot 
at winning this election. Her campaign acknowledges that. They're treating black voters not as givens. They're treating them as persuadable, as, as voters who need to be given an extra push in order to, to go to the polls. And you can see her campaign is tailored to that. They're shifting their targets to focus more on African-American voters. And I think, to me, this poll, if there's a few surprising things in it, one of the more surprising numbers was that lack of a female gender gap for Governor Kemp. I mean, he was basically dead even with uh, Stacey Abrams when it came to women, but had a huge advantage among men. And in a race that was otherwise, if you look at the crosstops, it's otherwise not terribly surprising. He consolidated most of the Republican base. She's consolidated most of the Democratic base. Stacey Abrams is winning independence in our poll. So it's showing that some swing voters are at least breaking towards her camp. But it's that lack of a huge gender gap that we usually see, right? We usually see females, women supporting Democrats more than males and men supporting Republicans more. Well, we've got Kemp with a huge lead among men, but we do not see Abrams with a big lead among women. Yeah. And that raises for me this immediate question, what is going on with the abortion issue? Why is that not showing up in this poll in the way that it is showing up in other contests across the country. So obviously, Kansas is the big example that Democrats point to. There was a ballot initiative there. And, you know, almost two thirds of Kansans defeated that ballot initiative in an extremely Trump favorable state. And that was the opposite of what people expected and certainly showed that the abortion issue can be very galvanizing and very much in the favor of Democrats. But that's just not showing up in this poll. And when we asked voters to discuss what's their most important issue? What is the issue they think is most important in the country? Abortion was ranked number one for just 5% of voters, while uh, the economy and jobs was about a third of the voters, if you combine those two. And the rest were threats to democracy, immigration, gun control, gun safety. So a number of other issues were pulling ahead of abortion, despite the fact that abortion is at this really historic pivot point when it comes to who Georgians are going to be electing to the state house, to the governor's mansion, and to the U.S. Senate. So that is an issue that I still expect to play a role in this election, but it's really not playing a role in this poll at all. Yeah, exactly. We've seen other polls where abortion was a more significant factor. So we'll see how that shakes out. But you're right. Only a handful of Georgians, 5% listed abortion as their top issue in the election. But that wasn't the only abortion-related question that we asked. We also asked whether or not the divide over abortion would influence voters' decisions to cast their ballots. And more than half of likely voters indicated that politicians' stances on abortion has no influence at all over how they'll cast their ballots. About low 40s, about 44% said it would. So, you know, a somewhat even divide there. And the poll also indicated that nearly half of respondents said they're more likely to vote for a candidate who wants to protect access to abortion But of course, that includes pretty much every Democrat, about 90% of Democrats, and about half of women. So it's a mixed bag. While a lot of voters said that abortion isn't their number one concern, they also indicated that it will play at least some role for not, not all, for not even half voters, but for a significant portion of voters, it will play some role in their decisions. Yes. So it will play a role, but is it just going to compound the decision that they were already going to make? Is that number the number that are already committed Stacey Abrams voters are the people who are also motivated by the abortion issue? That looks a little bit like what's going on in this poll. Obviously, the Abrams campaign would very much like to reach out to moderate Republicans, Republican women, the 
kind of voters who would not otherwise uh, typically go for Abrams. Those are the voters they're telling us they believe they can flip with the abortion decision and with the abortion issue. It's just not showing up in this poll. It doesn't mean it's not going to show up, but it's just they're not quite there yet. They, they have not made that case as far as this this poll goes. And the theory of the case for Stacey Abrams and other Democrats is that these polls aren't picking up on an expansion of the electorate because of the Dobbs decision. This poll is weighted like other polls to expect 55% of the turnout to be women. And that's in line with how the electorate has, has fared in Georgia over the last few election cycles. What Abrams and other Democrats say is if it drives even higher women turnout, and if those women end up voting decisively for Democrats, which this poll does not indicate, but if, if that is the case, then it's a whole new ball game for Democrats. And that is why so much of her messaging for Stacey Abrams and other Democrats has been geared around the abortion issue. They acknowledge that the economy is the top issue, but they also acknowledge that abortion will be uniquely motivating. And here's what Stacey Abrams said on The View when she was asked about restrictions on abortion in Georgia. I believe that abortion is a medical decision, not a political decision. Thank you. And arbitrary, <laughs> arbitrary, arbitrary politically defined timelines are deeply problematic because they ignore the reality of medical and physiological issues. Mm-hmm. For example, a six-week ban tells women they have to make reproductive choices before they know they're pregnant. Yeah. And that arbitrariness extends into these artificial timelines. What I believe is that it's a decision that should be made between a woman and her doctor, that viability is the metric, and that if a woman's health or life is in danger, then viability extends until the time of birth. So Patricia, you know, this is not going away. And we've heard from Abrams' campaign that their internal polls show not only that abortion is a key factor, but they're also relying on internal data that shows a surge in women and other sort of Democratic-friendly voting blocks requesting mail-in ballots. Yeah. You know, typically when you're reading polls or when I'm reading polls, um, you're looking for that likely voter set because those are the people most likely to vote. So that's the most predictive of people's behaviors. But the Abrams campaign now and Abrams groups in 2020 and even in 2018 said they are looking for unlikely voters. Now, it's hard to pull an unlikely voter because they don't show up on voter rolls. It's almost impossible to pull unlikely voters who are actually going to vote. So it's very hard to predict the unpredictable. I mean, that <laughs> that's just logical. But that is what they firmly believe is going to happen. Now, that is what happened in Kansas. That result in Kansas came as a huge surprise because the people who showed up in Kansas were a number of unlikely voters, unexpected voters, and previously unregistered voters who did not show up in the polls because they had polled likely voters, people they expected to be at the polls. So, you know, it's a risk for a campaign to go into a process like this um, without knowing exactly who's going to be out there and exactly who they're reaching and exactly who are the likely voters that they can really spend their time and money on. But this is an extremely unusual year. The abortion issue is just at an, you know, again, at a really historic inflection point. And so it makes sense that the Abrams campaign is looking to that to be the issue that can change this dynamic because it is really one of the only things, it's the biggest thing really that's different from 2018. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And boy, do we have a deal for you. You can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for less than a dollar. For just 99 cents, you can get politics, investigations, breaking news, sports, dining, and all of our newsletters, including your beloved Jolt for less than a dollar. <laughs> it's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just a dollar. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Greg, I would like to put that in context for our listeners. I just paid $4.76 for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So really, that offer for the AJC, that is two and a half years worth of the AJC for the price of a cup of coffee. And I just don't think you can say no to that. And all the work that goes into it. We sound now like a public radio ad now, but all the work that goes into it. <laughs> and you get um, a tote bag. <laughs> you, don't get a, we, you don't get a tote bag. <laughs> we, we, we will thank you on Twitter. Um, but look, there's a lot of work that goes in. And your, your subscription pays for our hard work. And it is Poll Week at the AJC, as you heard from the first segment of the show. And we can't even tell you how much time we spend behind the scenes tailoring our coverage to capture everything that the poll informs us about. We have all sorts of planning, all sorts of coverage. You know, we, we've mapped out the, the next week or so of planning and jolt leads and all sorts of blogs and other coverage uh, because these polls, they don't come cheaply. They cost a lot of money. They're done by University of Georgia's School of Policy and International Affairs. So it's a very esteemed outlet, uh, but we make the most of it. And we, we know how important it is to have accurate polling they really, you know, it's not a predictor. It doesn't say what's going to happen in November, but it gives us a really good snapshot of, of what's happening right now on the ground in Georgia. That's right. And snapshots ain't cheap. That's all I can snapshots. tell you. This, yes. is not a, this is not a Polaroid. <laughs> no, it's not. This is not a Polaroid. This is a very expensive, very labor-intensive snapshot. So, no, it's true. The subscriptions literally pay for the polls. So thank you so much, subscribers. Everyone else... Your 99 cent offer awaits you. <laughs> we need a lot more of those 99 cent offers to pay for the, for the next no, one. No kidding. Well, let's get to some good news for Democrats, or at least a glimmer of good news for Democrats in the poll. And it was the only, you know, the standout uh, item in the poll that was great news for Democrats. Or I don't know if you know, great news, but 
it showed that Senator Raphael Warnock remains basically deadlocked with Republican Herschel Walker. Uh, in, in our poll, we had Warnock at 44%, Herschel Walker at 46%. Yes, it sounds like Walker has a two-point lead, but really with a margin of error of 3%, that is not a lead. It just basically is too close to call. It's an effectively a, a tie. That's within the poll's margin of error. And an additional 3% of voters indicate they'll back the libertarian in the race, Chase Oliver. 7% are undecided. So this race, Patricia, remains very much in flux. And the word I keep on hearing from folks close to both Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker, it begins with an R and it ends with an off. <laughs> and <laughs> it's looking more and more like we could be headed to another runoff. We'll see. Fortunately, in this case, one overlooked part of the election we write that passed last year and got so much national attention and local attention was a part that changed it from a nine-week runoff to a four-week runoff. So no longer will we be ruining our New Year's and our Christmases and our Hanukkahs. We'll only be ruining Thanksgiving with political yes. coverage. Only but Thanksgiving will yet. be destroyed. Yep, that's true. <laughs> but we're not there yet. But certainly this race continues to be kind of hanging on the balance. Yes. And that makes perfect sense to me because of all of the races on the ballot, this is the most nationalized and it should be the most nationalized in a lot of ways because that U.S. Senate seat is going to play an important role in determining control of the U.S. Senate. That's going to play a huge role in determining the next two years of President Joe Biden's administration. Can he get things through the way he has been? Or are voters looking to hit the brakes on that administration and on its agenda? So this is the race that is nationalized. And this is a battleground state. And I think the 2020 election really was a preview of exactly what these federal races are going to continue to look like, essentially tied for president uh, although we know Joe Biden pulled it out. Also, very, very tight races in those Senate races in the 2021 runoffs. And this is a continuation of that trend. It's amazing to me that the the piece that is important for Warnock here, when you dig into the crosstabs, he has 15% support among conservatives. Um, he's getting 15% of conservatives. That's a really important number for him. He is continuing to see some of this cross-pollination with Governor Brian Kemp that's an unusual situation <laughs> for two candidates who don't have that much in common except yeah. for being incumbents and except for having uh, personal brands that kind of stand apart from their national parties. And so this is just absolutely one of the most fascinating races um, among all of the Senate contests. It's also the one that Republicans in Washington consider their best pickup opportunity. And that's going to be really, really important coming into these final weeks and months. Yeah, this poll underlines the fact that the split ticket dynamic in Georgia continues. We're not sure if it will still continue in November when the voters actually go to the polls because we have lots of evidence that it won't, you know, based on past history and based on what's happening in other states. But right now, we have a split ticket trend. And look, I wrote about this earlier this week when I had a big story about the Republican ground game operations trying to um, catch up to Democrats. And I was out with a, a handful of Republican door knockers, you know, canvassers who were knocking on doors. And we were out in East Cobb, and of the handful of houses where folks actually opened their doors, and the canvassers kind of read their spiels, went through their spiels about voting for every Republican. And one guy interrupted them and said, hey, I'm voting Republican down the ticket except for one race, and that is for U.S. Senate. I cannot support Herschel Walker. And so this is a, you know, we've quoted a lot of people over the last few weeks. We've covered this trend, and it is continuing. In our poll, about 9% of Warnock supporters are also backing Governor Kemp. 
while an additional 5% of Kemp supporters are undecided in the Senate contest. So a significant number, not a huge number, but in a state as close as Georgia, when you're talking even just a few percentage points, that could be a decisive factor in these races. And it also speaks to Senator Warnock's strategy, which is he's not going to go out there and say he is a huge fan of Joe Biden. You know, that's what something Stacey Abrams is doing, by the way. He's not out there saying that he agrees with the administration on every issue. He's actually more likely to, to point out how he has co-sponsored legislation with Ted Cruz and Tommy Tuberville and worked um, with other conservative Republicans, in his view, to do what's best for Georgia. And he's doing that, of course, to maintain that really slim foothold, but a foothold nonetheless, on those split ticket voters. Yes. And I think something else that is really important to know, though, is that Herschel Walker has made up ground in this race. And mm-hmm. Herschel Walker is getting stronger on the stump. And Democrats who had written him off as a huge joke, frankly, I think are panicking now a little bit. This is a tied race. But even just seeing that visual of Herschel Walker leading Raphael Warnock by two points, um, that's a tie, essentially. However, that has really struck the fear of all things political and to some Democrats who I don't think thought they would this race would get this close. They really consider Raphael Warnock to be one of their premier candidates, and they consider Herschel Walker to be one of the weakest candidates on the field. And uh, this race in a battleground state, nationalized, and with Republicans mostly getting on board with Herschel Walker, this is going to be uh, one of the tightest races in the country. And one of the reasons it's so close goes to another segment of our poll, which is uh, we drilled down deeper into President Biden's approval rating. As we said earlier, Just 37% of likely Georgia voters approve of his performance in office. It's basically unchanged from the last poll, which showed him at 36%, so statistically insignificant change. And this is despite the fact that his numbers in some other battleground states are starting to rebound. It explains why the governor and other Republicans are seeking to tie their opponents to Biden. Of the 51% who strongly disapprove of the president, 36% of those are, are independents. And 15% of Democrats are still giving Biden negative reviews. You know, it's it's a real tough spot for Democrats to be in when the party standard bearer is so low in approval ratings in Georgia. And it's not just our poll. In many other polls, he's either in the high 30s or low 40s. And that means they have to, essentially, they have to sort of outperform Joe Biden in many of these instances, or at least, you know, change the electorate enough to bring more of Biden's supporters to the polls who usually skip these midterm elections. Yeah, I mean, they have to outperform him by a lot, by like not a small amount. And that is very hard to do. One of the other numbers that jumped out at me in this poll is the fact that 70% of Georgians think that the country is headed in the wrong direction. That is just like a cinder block around the hopes of Democrats that you can, there's no balloon strong enough to, to get lift off with those kinds of numbers describing the way people feel about the direction of this country. And so people are going to blame Democrats for that. Um, it's just so incredibly difficult. This is not a generic situation. This is not sort of like an even playing field for everybody involved. This is a really tough year for Democrats nationally. And it's very clear that Joe Biden's numbers here are making the work of Democrats much harder. I think one other data point I want to point listeners to is that Donald Trump's not doing too great either. (laughs) 
around Georgia. Um, we have a question in, uh, in the poll asking if Republicans identify themselves more as Trump supporters or Republican Party supporters. And 58% said they're Republican Party supporters and just 38% said that they're Trump supporters. So while Republicans in the state, and it seems like in the state alone, are managing to get past this Trump fever dream, the Democrats are having their own fever dream with their own problematic person at the top of their party. And um, it's proving to be really, really difficult to just to find some smooth air for their campaigns right now. And a topic for another time, but 38% can still win you a Republican primary if there's four or five Absolutely. <laughs> other opponents. Absolutely. 100%. Stay tuned. Uh, one more thing I want to mention before we jet out of here is that, you know, despite President Biden's low approval ratings, we polled on two of his major recent initiatives and we found widespread support. That was kind of a unique paradox. A majority of Georgia voters back his plan to offer some relief for student debt. And a majority of Georgia voters support what he calls the Inflation Reduction Act, but really what we call the federal climate tax and health care bill. And I talked to one of those voters who opposes President Biden, but also supports those proposals. And he said, you know what? <laughs> this is weird. I don't like the man, but how can I oppose those policies? So you're definitely seeing that sort of rift. <laughs> Joe Biden, I can just I can hear him coming down here and getting be like, folks, folks, I passed all these bills. I signed all these bills, you know, but it doesn't it's a it's been tough, real tough for him to communicate this. Is it because he's not a good communicator? Is it because they don't have a great strategy? Is it because these are gigantic bills that are hard to drill down on? And if you ask people, do you like this specific piece or that specific piece? They say, oh, yeah, I actually do kind of like that. I mean, it's whatever is making it hard for Democrats to communicate what they're proud of they're not getting the job done. And it's making it a lot harder for um, their candidates down ticket. However, you really also just cannot ignore the inflation numbers in the country as much as Democrats can say, but we passed this bill and that bill and you like it. I know you like it. It is still really expensive for people to consider buying a home in Georgia, to consider renting an apartment in Atlanta, to go to the grocery store. It is just everything is expensive. Everything is more expensive and inflation rates are going up. It doesn't look like they're going to stop going up anytime soon. So that is, I think, really driving the president's numbers above and beyond all the legislative uh, tricks and treats that he's passed. Um, the inflation numbers are just really, really hard to separate the administration from. And these candidates are having a hard time separating themselves from that administration. Well, that is all the time we have for today's episode of Politically Georgia podcast. We'll have so much more in the next episode, not only on our poll, but on everything else going on on the campaign trail. We've got a potential Donald Trump visit to speak about. We've got Brian Kemp heading to the suburbs. We've got campaign events from Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock, and Stacey Abrams. Over the last few days, I went to Forsyth County to watch the aftermath of the would-be protests that ended up dwindling into nothing. And of course, we have all sorts of tidbits about the electorate and about these down-ticket candidates as well. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll also answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can call into right now. Patricia, I was at a party uh, the other night with full of Politically Georgia podcast fans who were asking me all sorts of questions. And I said, you know, you could just call the hotline. Guess what? <laughs> rather than, <laughs> rather than Why don't you just call my toll-free hotline? <laughs> yeah. And believe it or not, a few of them <laughs> went to the corner and called the hotline. So I have no idea what they asked. But <laughs> I said, right now I'm drinking. Um, it's... <laughs> 
And you too can call it anytime. Leave a question and we will play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. We promise the producer, Shaney B, and his interns will never use that terrible uh, song that they used, the lead-in song that they used last week to, to proclaim the show. But, you know... It depends on you. You've got to call so he doesn't ever use that song again. I, I do apologize to all Politically Georgia listeners and their dogs. And their howling. dogs. Yep. Yes. My daughter is scarred for life by that. She was listening to it on the, on the way to, as I drove carpool the other day. And she's like, Daddy, why'd you do this to me? I can't bear it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You listen to the podcast in carpool? I wanted her to listen to uh, to that to that song in particular. I would not okay, listen to it. That's a good point. I can I can <laughs> send it. You can make it her ringtone if she misbehaves. There, you know. There you go. <laughs> no, we only listened to that because I was like, "You guys are going to hate this," and guess what? They did. Well, <laughs> well, right. well, we appreciate you listening to the Blinding Georgia podcast despite that ringtone. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.